Hello and welcome back to The Catch, a Catholic podcast. I am your host, Michael Adams, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Rahimi. Hello, everyone. Yes, it's, it's good to be here on this fine Saturday afternoon during the Holy Week. It's finally warm outside after snowing. But actually, you know, I was sent out by my family, because um, I'm living at home right now, to go and deliver some packages and send some mail out because apparently they don't care about the youngest child. They're just like, well, you know, you're the youngest. We can, we can sacrifice you to the, to the virus. But as I was out, I went to get gas and I was looking at the prices. And normally it's like, you know, people, it's like Dean's list prices, you know, they're scoring 4.0s up there on the, on the board. It's like academic probation numbers right now. I mean, it was like 179. Like you're not getting into university with that stuff. This was quality. So it was like 20 bucks for, for gas for a full tank, which is, unheard of yes essentially it's your gpa now that they're using to do the standards for you know gas prices there's like okay what did john get in his sophomore year class like what was his fall semester gpa you know he did he did really bad in chemistry really bad in chemistry for man oh man we got to drop those prices right now (laughs) it's good i can just keep sending my grade reports they'll see calculus they'll see chemistry and i won't be paying a nickel by the end of this thing so yeah so everyone listening you can thank john for the low prices Thank you, his, his small brain. But, you know, he, he's just doing it for the greater good. He's really smarter than that, I promise. He's a 4.0 kind of guy, but he's just doing this for the greater good. For the greater good. That's right. Yeah, how's, uh, how's living at home right now while you're in quarantine? Yeah, honestly, I think I have it pretty good. You know, where I come from, kind of small town, quaint town. We got some nice land to go drive four-wheelers around. We're hanging out, but it's been kind of brutal. I mean, we're in the middle of April right now, and it's like 55 degrees here. You know, if it's cold, I don't want to really go outside right now. You know, usually right now, mid-April, I'd be outside casting a line, fishing on the pond and doing some four-wheeling back in the fields, but I don't really have that opportunity now. So it's kind of one of the weirder Aprils I've had, but it's honestly a blessing in disguise. I'm I'm moving up to Chicago, as you know, in August for my first full-time job. Um, So getting a lot of time with family and really spending a lot of quality time with my parents and really just trying to take that to heart and really... I know I'm not going to get another opportunity like that. So just kind of take it as much as I can. Amen. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Michael lives in what we call the boonies in the middle of nowhere down in central Illinois. Um, So that's why he's moving into the greater Chicago area because he's realized his fault. But, you know, I wouldn't call it the the greater Chicago area. Um, You know, I lived there this past summer and, you know, I'm an expert now in all things city like. Right. Yes. I would just say that the city is, you know, it's meh. But once you come down to the boonies, come to Metamora. You spend some time in a town of like a total population of about three thousand. That's where you find. That's where you find yourself. Honestly, <laughs> I've never heard anyone call Chicago God's country, but I hear Metamora called God's country at least once a week. At least once a week. So it's because you've been talking to yourself too much. Yeah, I mean, what else do you do during quarantine? I got to keep your friends around. <laughs> that is fair. Actually, it was my it was my nephew's birthday the other day, and he just turned two, but since it was snowing outside, they took him sledding, which is like, what the heck are you doing in April going sledding? But he went sledding, he was all dressed up. It was, it was rather adorable, but yeah. So they're finding fun ways to, to get outside and have some good family time during all this craziness, which is great to see. Does he still have his uh, affinity for donuts and other tasty goods? Oh yeah, dude. They made him this cake for his birthday. And they sent us a picture. It's just like hand in big platter of cake shoving it shoveling it into his mouth the kid was yeah he's a he's a large human being for being only two years old but don't worry we'll get him on the workout routine soon yeah i have a cousin who's uh very health conscious 
And I went to her, uh, her daughter's birthday party one time and they made her this awesome cake. I mean, it was beautiful, but it was also made out of fruit. And all I know is if I was a kid and my mom handed me a fruit cake, I, I would punt it. I would just punt it across the room. I would feel no remorse for everyone in there. I'd throw it. I wouldn't touch it. I'd just be upset. Like, do your parents really, really love you if they give you a fruit cake? I mean, come on. I think so. I mean, yeah, that's definitely worth calling child services over. They're, yeah, I, they're I not taking it seriously. I considered it. I considered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we're right now trying our best to, to make the most of this time. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Chicago. So I live in a house with uh, a bunch of other guys downtown right now. But we're in our spring break, which, which was, was, I can't talk, <laughs> which was supposed to be a fun, exciting time of adventure and thrills. Now it's just sitting at home and watching movies and hanging out with the family. But um, yeah, it'll be nice to go back and finish out the semester. I know you guys only have like three more weeks left of of your senior year but it's a weird time yeah for those of you that also don't know i am a senior at the university of illinois in urbana champaign right now it's actually where john and i met um, we met at the newman center there we both worked there as resident advisors um michael was my bathroom mate exactly year. i really was yeah we, we shared a bathroom for a full year we weren't even friends before that either so it was, it was real awkward we got real comfortable real cozy together but from that you know beautiful friendship came about here we are three years later, four years later, making a podcast, doing the catch, you know, there, there's some beauty to the, to the madness that was happening that year. Amen. That's right. It's kind of amazing looking back like what, two and a half, three years ago, almost now that this all started and now we're here and you're about to graduate, which is wild. And then fulfill your destiny of moving to Chicago and converting the whole place, which will be great. So yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful time to be together right now. Yeah, it's kind of um, ironic too. You said you had like the two and a half to three years and the beautiful friendship has been built in it. Only two and a half to three years. You know, you think of like lifetime friends. You think of like, oh, who were your childhood friends? You know, who were your best friends when you were like seven? Um, but then you go to college and it's like, oh, I developed some like the best friends and like the lasting friendships in a matter of four years. Or in our case, a matter of two and a half years, three years when you graduated before me. Um, honestly, it kind of reminds me of the gospel that reminds me of that friendship that Christ formed with his 12. Um, you know, he only had three years. I mean, he gets him when he's 30, starts the mission when he's 30, he dies when he's 33. And look at what that lasting friendship did. I mean, now we have 2000 years of the Catholic church. Amen, dude. There's always, there was a great, uh, I think it was a meme or something that I saw, but they were like <laughs> the greatest miracle that Christ ever performed was having 12 best friends when he was in his thirties. Like, yeah, that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, he, but, he, didn't, he didn't shy away from those friendships. He, he's all about the boys. <laughs> all about the boys. Saturdays are for the boys. That's why we're podcasting on a Saturday. Exactly. We only come to you on Saturdays. Only on Saturdays. But uh, it's funny you mention friendship, Michael, because it's a beautiful segue into our topic for this afternoon. Yeah, what is that today? Well, I thought it would be good to uh, look at friendship from a gospel perspective, now that we're... Uh, you know, finding it difficult to maintain those friendships in a real, you know, personal way with the quarantine and all that. But um, there's a passage that I that I read at the beginning of this year, back in August, uh, Mark 13. It's Mark's uh, telling of how Jesus called the 12 apostles. Whip out my handy dandy Bible here, something that all Catholics should have. 
Uh, it says, he went up the mountain and summoned those whom he wanted and they came to him. So just those little lines right there from, uh, from verse 13, chapter 3, um, I think are really striking for, for several reasons. But one is just that it says that Jesus called whom he wanted. Um, I think a lot of times, at least in my own experience with this, it's difficult to accept our own desires when it comes to other people. It's really easy to get in a mindset that says, I'm Christian, I'm a Catholic, I need to be best friends with everybody. Everyone should be just the best. I should want to be with all these people all the time because that's charity, that's loving them. But that's not the reality that we see in the gospel, right? Jesus says he called whom he wanted. And at this point, people had been following him. People had seen what he'd been doing. They were at the baptism. They witnessed that great miracle. So he would have had crowds of people around him, yet he only chose 12 of those. And then even from that, we see that he then goes on later when we look at the transfiguration. He only takes three of them with him. He takes Peter, James, and John. So there's gradations to the friendship, right? It's not just one friendship size fits all. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, because I've heard it in different classes, especially in like psychology classes and psychology papers I've read over the years, just speaking into friendship. They always talk about these circles. Um, And an exercise that one of my good friends actually does is once a year, he draws four circles and he starts in the innermost circle. Um, In the innermost circle, he puts two to three people and he's like, these are the two to three guys or women that I know I can go to with anything. I trust them with my life. They are my inner three, kind of like Jesus's Peter, James, and John. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, they start with their next sec, and they're like, okay, these are really good friends. Like, I love to be with them, but they're not in that inner circle. And then it keeps going out until they're like, okay, these people are just acquaintances. I enjoy them, but they're not necessarily inside of my friendship circle, inside of that like group that actually gets to make demands out of me and actually gets to like spend time with me that I will actually go out of my way for. Uh, I think it's interesting we see kind of psychology side with that idea of the circles of friendship. And we also see Christ like naturally creates those circles. Like he had thousands of followers. I mean, in one sense, he's like, okay, we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. Why Mm -hmm. didn't Christ then invest in all thousands and thousands of people the same exact amount and just spread that to everyone? And why did he choose 12? And then on top of the 12, why did he choose the inner three? And then even within that three, why did he choose Peter? You know, why did he choose Peter to build his church? Those are, yeah, that's a really good point that you bring up that I think is really interesting. And I have something that I've been wrestling with this year was that question of why did he only choose 12, right? Why does God choose people? Um, I think the answer that I've kind of come to is twofold. One um, is that human side, right? Jesus is fully human. He's not just some robot who has zero desire or like, um, right? We talk about the four kinds of love. Uh, Eros is the one that's being uh, played out here that we're seeing. It's not, everyone looks at Eros and goes, oh, erotic. I'm so scandalized by the word erotic. It's like, everyone needs to calm down because The erotic love is that love of passion. We talk about God as a jealous God. He desires his people passionately. And so Jesus is passionately desiring these people. But we even look back further, and this is what kind of, I think, helped me understand it more, was seeing in the Old Testament, right? God chooses people. He has a sovereign choice. Um, 
and something that he's endowed us with, with our free wills. We have a sovereign choice to choose others. Um, but he chooses Abraham. He chooses uh, Noah. That's the one that really gave me a hard time was that he chose Noah. Why did he choose all of people? Why didn't he save all of them? He only chooses Noah. But God does this in a really kind of, I think, cool way that he, he chooses a people for the sake of others so that they'll be a nation like he does with Israel. He chooses a select people to be set apart so that they can bring life to the nations. And we see this played out then with the church. He chooses these 12 men so that they can be set apart to proclaim the gospel. Their life is set apart from the rest of the world to draw all things to himself. So I think that's what's kind of at play there is that uh, there's a real um, share for us to partake in God's kind of love uh, that he shares in our humanity that we get to choose other people and be desirous of them. Like Jesus is with these guys. He wants them, those whom he wanted, which is kind of a striking thing for I think a lot of us that to know that God really desires us and that we then in turn can really desire other people over others. Yeah. And I think of uh, kind of when you're talking about this, what really strikes me is I'm reminded of a passage in John 15 uh, and Christ talking to his disciples, really word for word, he says, you are my friends. Um, And what he says is you are no longer slaves. It is not you who have chosen me, but I have chosen you. Mm. Uh, It's just that idea of understanding we're so unique in the way that we look at our God. I mean, most people, you look at like different religions, it's like their God is very distant. It's this perfect being who you can never access. Um, And even like in the history of the church, like in Jewish times, how you're only really allowed to go into the temple once a year, only one person was able to go to the very backmost corner and be with God. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now we have a God and the way that we think of our God is someone who's always seeking and always trying to develop that relationship. He's always chasing us. Um, and actually, um, one of my really good friends, she actually converted to Catholicism a couple of years ago. And when I posed the question, you know, why did you choose the Catholic faith? And her main quest, her, her main answer was, because you guys have a God who is chasing me. And he's mm. always looking for me. And he's always coming closer to me. He's accessible wow. and he's a friend. Uh, and I think it's kind of interesting too, because we often are told, look at God as like God, the father, like look at him as like your father figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also can look at Christ and like kind of going off that inner circle idea of, yeah, we have our inner circles of friends, but in that innermost circle should be Christ. Like that should be the innermost friendship that you are developing because developing that innermost friendship will help you in developing those other circles. And those other circles will then be stronger and will be formed in better substance to actually make them more fruitful which we can see in the disciples, you know, Jesus and Peter, like Peter, his best friend was Jesus and his friendship was rooted in Jesus. And from that, he's able to lead this church and able to build this church from what it was into what it is now. Yeah. And I, you know, I think of, as I think of John too, and I'm no John, but he, well, you're kind of John. Well, kind of John, but he, right. He rests his head on Jesus's chest at the last supper. Like he's that close to him. Like how often do you like lay your head on another on your best friend's like chest. That's not the most normal thing in the world. It's kind of an uncomfortable image for us to think of, but there's a real intimacy there between John and Jesus that he is first and foremost concerned with him. Like that's his best friend. That's who he's most intimate with. Um, and who he desires to be with most, um, right. He recognizes, we just read this in the readings. Um, I think yesterday was that, uh, John sees Jesus on the shore after the resurrection. And he's the one who says it. 
it is the Lord. He recognizes him immediately, right? Because he knows his best friend well, intimately and personally. Um, and he's been desiring him for the last three days after he's been crucified. So there's, there's, there's that longing for the other. Um, so I think just looking at that, that little snippet from Mark again with Jesus wanting those, um, he does so after prayer, right? He goes up to the mountain to pray. And we see him do this often. He takes time away, takes him apart. So as I think about that, I, I think it's important for us that we, we take time to really consider our friendships well, um, to not settle for just, oh, well, I enjoy this person's company, right? But why? Why do I enjoy this person's company? Where, where are they leading me? How do I grow with them? How do I help them? What's, what's present there? Some might be, you know, more fruitful than others. That's okay. Um, you don't need to write them a handwritten note telling them that they're the worst people on the planet and they no longer deserve your friendship. But to really take the time to consider what's moving, where is God working in that friendship, right? Because as you said, Michael, the, the whole point is to have Christ at the center of our lives so that these friendships will bear much more fruit um, and be better friendships in the end. So we need to look for Christ in those. That's how we see that playing out, I think. Yeah, and I think there's even more to learn about just ourselves and how we reach out to friends. And I remember over the years, I've been told, you know, oh, if this person isn't leading you to Christ, like, mm. come out of your life. Just forget about them, never talk to them again. Like, only talk to others who are living their life exactly like you. Right. Which I personally think is a, just a load of stupidity. Um, <laughs> I'm not a fan of it. Um, but I think there is something important to note there that yes, you have this inner circle of people who are leading you to Christ, but looking at that inner, inner circle, like the beginning of the faith, like we had Christ and then we had Peter, James, John, and the way that it went out, the way that it went out and the way that it spread is that these inner circles are not just locked. They aren't these people who stay in with each other and they don't go outside of these groups and they don't reach out. They just kind of stay with each other and they only spend time with each other. You mm-hmm. kind of see like that whole click mentality where you have like, the people in high school, it's like, oh, there's the popular crowd. <laughs> like, oh, there's the nerdy crowd. Like, they don't talk to anyone. There's only like three of them or four of them. They just say to themselves, and that's it. There's the Yu-Gi-Oh playing crowd. They're a bunch of weirdos. That was hey, me. <laughs> hey, don't, don't hate on the Yu-Gi-Oh crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still play you anytime you want. Yeah. Um, still have my deck. No shame to that. Yeah. Um, but what I'm trying to say is, yeah, like, there is an aspect of, yes, you have these close friendships, but that doesn't mean you just turn away and forget everyone else in your life. You exactly. still have a responsibility as a Christian to actually reach out and to actually develop friendships with those who are not living out life in the same way. I mean, if we're really living out that call to like bring others to Christ, how can we expect to bring others to Christ? If the only people we surround ourselves with are others who are already in the same boat as us, if everyone's in that boat that Christ goes to and appears to, it's like, okay, well, this is all of Christ believes we're all in this boat. Cool. I mean, that's, good, we'll probably all become great people, but what about the people on the shore? Yeah. You know, there's a responsibility that we have to actually go out to them and develop those friendships and bring them into our inner circles and allow to actually form them. And in turn, I can say like from doing that, I think I actually developed more appreciation for not only my faith, but just for like the human person, like a deeper yes. understanding of like, okay, it is not the most scandalous thing to actually have the struggle. Like, yes, it's a scandalous thing in itself, like to actually struggle and grapple with a sin or to actually struggle or grapple with a certain practice of life. Like there's beauty in that, that we can see that we can actually come to understand our own self and understand our own struggles. Like, okay, just because they struggle with X, Y, Z thing doesn't mean they're actually a terrible person. It's just 
okay, why are they struggling? We can come to just better love and understand everyone around us then. Yeah. And I love what you just said there. Like, right. It's, we might all be great people, but what about the people on the shore? Right. It's, um, I think it, uh, it's Mark, the second chapter of Mark, I think. Um, but right. We see Jesus eating with the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the Pharisees are like, Hey, the heck are you doing? And right. Jesus says, I've come for, uh, the lost. I've come for the sinners. I didn't come to heal the people who don't need a cure. So, right. It's again, again, it's the same thing playing out with the church. Christ chose 12 people to draw all people to himself through the church. And then, but what, what gets drawn into the church is tons of different people with different personalities, with different desires, with different gifts, different talents. This is what Paul is talking about when he's writing. Um, the church is a body. It's the body of Christ. And not every part is the same. Not everything has the same function. But I know that's been a great uh, difficulty for me is recognizing the great gifts that other people have. But when you have a core friendship that you're, you're sharing with, one with Christ and then one with other people in your life, um, you can share your difficulties and recognize their difficulties as well. As well. You start to develop a, I don't know where I heard this term, but I really liked it, like an outlook of mercy. Um, because you're not looking at their faults only. You're looking at their gifts and their faults and having mercy on them for like, okay, I, they're a sinner just like me. They have their weaknesses, they have their strengths. And I can recognize those and be grateful for what God is doing in their life. So we can't do that though, unless we have those core friendships, especially with Jesus. Um, cause we can turn and get our nourishment and find our, like our sense of self there. And then when we go out to those other friends who are, we aren't as close with, we don't shirk them off when we, when they do something we don't like. Um, right. And that's difficult to do, honestly, I think to look at someone and like, uh, I don't like that you like that thing, or you do this a certain way that I'm not a fan of this other person does it more in keeping with how I think it should be done. I'm just going to, be with them. You kind of suck and I'll push you off to the side, right? It's tempting. Yeah, honestly, what it kind of reminds me too, you're talking about like Jesus is like going out to the prostitutes, he's going out to the tax collectors, all these things of people are like, why is the Messiah doing that? Like, why is he there with the sinners? Why is he there with the worst of our time, as some would call it? And what really kind of strikes me is Jesus's relationship with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Yeah. And like the first time we see like the whole story of Martha and Mary, uh, where Martha is busying herself with cleaning and works and she's doing all the things she's preparing for the Lord. And all Mary is doing is sitting down there gazing at Christ. Jesus didn't love Mary more than Martha in that moment. He understood and was like, okay, Mary, you get it. And you understand the greater aspect of what's happening right now. But it's not like he just is like, okay, Martha, since you're busy, no longer I'm choosing you, like kicking you out to the curb. Like you're no longer welcome in the house. Mm-hmm. Like he still develops that relationship. And I think of actually when Jesus finds out that Lazarus is ill right before Jesus or right before Lazarus dies, um, he goes back into the town and after all this time and after the whole Martha, why are you busying yourself? Mary, like you understand me. He goes in and Martha and Mary both meet him and say, if you were here, Mm -hmm. you would be alive. Yeah. Um, But they also say, but I know that you are the son of God and that anything you ask of God will be given to you. Um, this is a beautiful show of like faith and trust in God in that growth that we can see in Martha, even just understanding mm-hmm. like 
you know, I did busy myself, but now in like a time of crisis and a time of need, like my brother just died. She goes straight to Christ and goes straight for him for comfort and for answers. Um, yeah. And I think also that kind of speaks into that idea of like, Jesus is a robot. He is like, didn't feel anything. Like he is his hard heart. Like he didn't like, he was just firm and he did what he did. And that was it. And we can look at this as like when they talk about him finding out that Lazarus has died in chapter 11. Um, and actually when Martha or when Mary, excuse me, comes up and starts talking to him and says, if you were here, he would be alive. Christ gets actually very troubled and perturbed. And it says that he actually begins to weep. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he's just weeping to weep. Like he's sharing in that sorrow and he's yeah. actually sad that he's lost a friend. Like he understands one, the pain of Martha and Mary. And two, he understands like, I just lost a very great friend in Lazarus. Like, it's okay to actually feel that sorrow and feel that pain. And he actually partakes in that. And I think it's one of the most beautiful like, expressions of Christ, like his true merciful and compassionate heart is he like genuinely shares in a human emotion of just sorrow and sadness and just breaks down. I think yeah. there's a lot of beauty in that. Although oftentimes we see people who break down, it's more of like a, Ooh, why? I, th- I think you should be happier. But like, that's not that big of a deal, dude. Like get over it. Yeah. Or like, I want you to be happier. Like be with, like be on my level. We never want to go out of ourselves to experience the others um, experience. But even, I just love what you just talked about. Jesus's relationship with Martha, Mary and Lazarus, Lazarus, right? He has a human heart. He experiences that he weeps because he's fully human. Like he shares in that with us. Um, but even just that image of Mary, right? Sitting at Jesus's feet while Martha's serving. Um, it reminds me of this really, uh, this book that I've been slowly paging through. And when I say slowly, I mean like a snail, but okay. there's a great, there's a great thing in friendship about here, uh, about friendship in here. Sorry. Uh, that this is the author is uh, Romano Gordini, who is actually German, even though he sounds like a full blown Italian. Uh, he says that if a friendship is to endure, it must be guarded. There must be something that will preserve it. Each of the two must give the other room to be what he is. Right. So I think this is what uh, we're kind of getting at with Christ and even ourselves in friendship is that we have to take into account the other person and allow them to be without our desire to control them. Cause it's really easy to be, um, you know, like you just said, look at someone who might be sorrowful or who's happy when we're sorrowful and to want them to then cater to our needs and whims at all moments and give us what we want at every given moment. Um, they need to act a certain way. If they're not acting a certain way, oh, are they really my friend? Or if they do something that irks us, then it's like, oh, they must not really care about me. They would have done it this way that I like versus the way they did it. Um, or even just little different personality traits, like people who are more open or people who are more like uh, closed in. Yeah, we all need to be vulnerable, but there's also just a certain measure of people are more internal. Other people are more external. Um, like I'm a very external processor. I think you're probably more of an internal processor. Yeah, exactly. But we get along great. So it's okay to appreciate the differences in the other person and allow them to be who God has made them to be not trying to control all that stuff. And then just this last little point I wanted to make was that, um, right. The thing with Eros and then agape love, everyone talks about agape love. It's a big buzzword, especially on college because college campuses with Catholic kids, right? Oh yeah. Agape, agape. It's the best love. It's the best love. Okay. It is the best love. Fine. But right. You, God is love. 
he is not just agape love. All the loves are in one, in him, right? And they build on each other and they fulfill each other. So if you're only agape love, if, God, if Christ only had agape love, he wouldn't have wept at Lazarus's tomb, right? He would have just sat there and been like, oh, unfortunate circumstances, snaps his finger as Lazarus is back. But no, he has eros. He has a desirous love, a passionate love, one that feels. So I think I just would encourage us like, and I'm talking to myself a little bit too here, but like, don't skip the arrows part. Allow yourself to feel in friendship, right? Sometimes it's, it's painful and it can be wounding, but it is a matter of then expressing that and sharing in that with the other person that really strengthens friendships into beautiful, beautiful places where Christ is at work and the Holy Spirit is strengthening all of us. So don't skip the painful part just because it's emotions or we're scared of them. I think that would be my little nugget. Yeah, but I mean, kind of going off that though, what do you do then when you're faced with that ultimate, like just, all right, we're human, we're deeply flawed, we're bound to let others down. And what do you do with like that friend to friend let down, that friend to friend betrayal? Like I think of like when you're like, oh, my friend didn't do this the way I would have done it. It's like, how dare thy <laughs> do something that I would not do? I have the superior mindset of what you should be doing in your life. It's like, yeah. okay, how do you deal with that letdown then? You know, how do you actually, how do you allow yourself to be hurt by a friend? And how do you actually go through that healing process? And what does that friendship look like through that hurt? That is a great question. One that I have been wrestling with all year. Um, I think it just goes, one thing that I found helpful is, which I know is difficult because we're all very busy people, but finding the time to reflect, not necessarily like going to the chapel and praying about it, but just taking time to examine your own like thoughts and to really be brutally honest with yourself about why am I feeling this way? Why am I thinking this? Um, what do I really want? Like, right. Engaging our thoughts, our feelings and our desires, right. Those are coming from the heart. So to be like, okay, why am I so upset about this? Um, and kind of getting a stern reality check of, do I want this for the good of the other person? Am I loving that person? Or do I do this or think this way or feel hurt because my ego has been wounded? Right. Am I that concerned about myself or am I concerned about the other? So that's, that's one way to think about it. Um, but in a more practical sense, um, I do think there's a great value in voicing when you are hurt or voicing when you are angry. It's really difficult because we're all very insecure people. I know we are, but like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like it can get really difficult sometimes to tell your friend that, Hey, I didn't like how that went. Um, because we're afraid that they might react poorly and then never want to talk to us again, which in of itself is a pretty unreasonable thing. If we've been friends for a long time, like that's not going to happen, but we, we work ourselves up into that. So I think that might help. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Kind of what I'm struck with is the idea of, uh, Peter and Christ. Like we've been talking this entire time. Like they're best yeah. friends. They're best friends. Like Peter was the chosen disciple, all these things. Like it's beautiful. But also we know that Peter denies Christ three times. Yeah. And Peter falls asleep in the garden when Christ asks him to wait up. You know, I imagine if I am in Christ's shoes and I see my friend do that, like, you know how bad that would hurt? I would literally just be like taking a knife straight to the heart. Like just seeing your best friend who you've invested in more than anyone completely turns back on you. Yeah, it sucks. Um, I can imagine those thoughts going through Christ's head as he's going underneath the pastor and like, 
yes, all the other thoughts, like the weight of the sins and just what he's actually doing, but also just hours ago, he's betrayed by his best, best, best friend. Mm -hmm. And we go back then after Jesus appears to the disciples and what does Jesus say to Peter? He asked him three times, do you love me? Just simple, like, do you love me? And of course, Peter's like, of course I love you. Like, please, please know I love you. Um, I think this is something that we have to like humble ourselves honestly into asking those questions with friends. Like, hey, like that didn't go the way I wanted it to. Like, I am hurt or like, hey, I know I hurt you. Like, can we get past this? And how can we get past this? Just showing that vulnerability. You know what? I am at fault for some of this. Mm -hmm. I understand that. I know I've hurt you but I want to actually build off of this. And I want to actually build our friendship and make it stronger off this. Cause like we look at Peter, he comes off of that failure of denying Christ. And then all of a sudden he's the first Pope and he's building the church. It's like yeah. from that betrayal and from actually the healing itself, the fruit of that healing is that Peter is now equipped and confident in himself to actually go and run this mission and actually run this church. He feels restored and he feels healed from Christ. And so I think that's one of the beautiful things that we can look at in our own friendships is forgiving often and to admitting yeah. to our own faults and just understanding like, you know, I'm looking at another human right now. I'm not looking mm. at Christ. Like I'm looking at another human who has their flaws, who has their difficulties in life, yes. who has their struggles, many of which are probably actually foreign to me and that I don't understand are going on. Mm-hmm. And so it's a matter of just humbling you know, you know what? Yeah, I'm really hurt right now, but I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to go to this person and just ask for that forgiveness. I have to do that so, so often because I am a deeply pride, prideful person. Yeah, it's a painful thing to go to my friends, um, especially go to Mary, my girlfriend, Mary. Like when I go to her, I'm like, you know what? Like, I understand. Like I was a complete jack bag today. Like, I'm so sorry. Like I, you deserve better than that. To actually like, humble myself and do that takes so much effort. Mm-hmm. But once it's done and once it's out there and said, the healing grace and like the fruit and the beauty that comes from that is abundant. It's so worth it, but there's just something in us that naturally like holds us back from going into those situations. Yeah. And I think the, just going back to our, our, our look at Christ, but we keep talking about Christ needs to be first. Christ needs to be first. And precisely for this reason, because right when he's first, we put him first, we see ourselves in relationship with him. And in light of that relationship, we come to know who we are. And we look at ourselves, we're like, oh, I'm really weak, right? This is St. Paul's whole thing. Like, I'm strong in Christ, but like, I'm weak. Um, my weaknesses become strong. So when we do that, we can engage the other person and see their weaknesses with mercy and compassion and be able to forgive more often because we notice in ourselves that same weakness where it's like, I'm not perfect. Neither is that person. So we need to be in this together. Um, and direct that towards Christ. And yeah, I think both of us can point to great examples in our own lives of times when we've gone to friends and apologized for things or shared like that vulnerability of, I know I screwed up. Uh, I'm really sorry about that. Or yeah, letting our pride go and finding that that offers an opportunity for the other to share their own vulnerability where we get a better understanding of what they're actually going through. Um, I've had several this year that's been, they've just been life-changing, honestly. It's opened up my mind and my heart so much to see, wow, this person's going through something that I had no idea was happening. Um, and that's really like, it hurts a little bit. Cause you're like, Oh wow. I feel like kind of a jerk, but uh, it helps then moving forward. Right. That bears so much more fruit and you develop such a deeper bond with that person 
where um, even the ordinary things become really beautiful. It doesn't always have to be this big heart to heart moment, but just living ordinary daily life um, in friendship with people, you can share so much more with so much more freedom, not worrying about, oh, they're not going to receive this well, or this person will receive it poorly. It's like, no, I trust them. Yeah. And I think that's honestly kind of the beauty and the purpose of what we're doing here with the catch. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes I'm asked like, okay, Michael, like this is awesome. You're doing this, but really why? And I think it really boils down to this aspect of friendship. Like we have found great beauty in this friendship, you and I, mm-hmm. but also like we've both had our own struggles within friendships with each other and with others outside of each other. I think the catch really is just, we want to build this authentic friendship and we want to provide others with people who are actually striving for that same goal of Christ. And through that actually striving for real virtuous friendship and who will actually understand each other in these senses of like, okay, I can see the human heart in this person. I don't just see their faults. I see the full human heart. And it's not only like we're providing for them, like this is a beauty for us as leading. This is we get to share in that friendship with them as well. That's, that's really the great admission is that we are actually intimately involved with each and every single person who wants to be a part of the catch and we can develop these friendships and actually build them with a good base and a good core and actually build these virtues within our own hearts and with the hearts of others and allow mm-hmm. them to make their own inner circles and allow them to bring each other closer together. And yeah. really that's, that was my entire goal behind this. Yeah. It is. Friendship is a beautiful thing and we're graced to have the one we do, but right. doesn't end there. It, it keeps overflowing out and that out that overflowing brings other people in, right? It draws them in. So yeah, I think that's, uh, it's good stuff. Good stuff for today. Yeah. I think there's a lot more we could say, but I think we're gonna have to save it for another one. We're just going to keep rolling. I guess if we keep going, we'll probably be in here all day if we keep talking. So yeah, right. Wrap it up. <laughs> but anyways, everyone, thank you again for listening. We appreciate it. So, so, so very much more than you'll ever know. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, or if you'd like to make a request for a topic that we could talk on, we'd be very open to considering that. You can reach out to us at thecatchcc at gmail.com. Again, that's thecatchcc at gmail.com. As always, we'll be praying for you. Please pray for us. Lord knows we need it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but until next time, we'll see you guys later. See you soon. Bye.